Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. Gone. Oh! They did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. Shock it all in college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. I am your host, Kai McEwen, joined by the rest of the three-man weave crew, Jim Root and Matt Cox. We are here to take you all through the final four. This is our final four betting preview, and boy, are we excited because we are going to be down in New Orleans ourselves, getting our own eyes in person on these games. Let's talk the matchups. Let's hit some futures markets as well, fellas. And maybe if you want to go into some player props, we can do that as well. Give the folks out there a full run of the gamut here of what sportsbooks have to offer. I'm going to dive right into it. We're going to go chronological order here on the matchups. Villanova and Kansas, no surprise. This is the undercard on the final four weekend. Kansas, minus four and a half, Jim. This is up by about a point since news broke, presumably about the Justin Moore injury extent. Take us through Kansas, Villanova. A few thoughts you got. What do you have? Well, well, first, I want to say that, yeah, because we're going to be in New Orleans, you're going to get more exclusive scoops on the roof, (laughs) <laughs> the mop, the floor, the rim placement. Uh, I can't wait to be a part of those. You guys did a wonderful job pumping out the super detailed content from Chicago. Uh, but yeah, Kai, Kansas Villanova. It, it's wild to call this an undercard, given that it's Kansas and a team that's won two of the last five national titles. Uh, but I'm sorry, everything pales to UNC Duke. However, this game, lots to discuss, Matthew. Uh, the, I, I think the biggest overriding factor for me that I keep coming back to both in terms of side and total, is the Villanova transition defense. Now, I looked at some of the numbers. They don't grade out great per hoop math, Uh, both in terms of frequency and efficiency. It's not like a, holy cow, this team is going to bottle you up. But, man, I watched that Houston game the second half. Yeah, it was awesome against Houston. So Houston was very clear in their intent in the second half. Every miss, we are pushing. We need to get easy baskets. We're not knocking down shots. Their half-court defense is too good, too switchable. Let's get easy buckets. And they just couldn't. And I think a big part of that is being switchable, being a one through five. They just guard whoever's near them. There's no like Brandon Slater running across the court to get over to Ochai Baji and Dixon needs to get to McCormick. Like they're fine if Caleb Daniels starts off on McCormick. They'll figure it out. They're content with that. And that helps transition defense. If you don't have to cross match and worry about that stuff. So I think that helps them keep it slow, like the under. And I also think I, I'm going to be hoping that this hits a hits plus five, Matthew, because I will jump in on Villanova then. And that's where I stand right now. Yep, I'm with you. I'm looking at Nova plus five, hoping it creeps up there. So continue to bet KU. 
KU money backers out there. Yeah, Jim, the transition D is interesting. Like the Houston performance makes me less worried about the season long stats that you cited from Hoop Math. I think, Kai, to me, it comes down to the Justin Moore effect and the Remy Martin effect. Justin Moore effect being, well, he's not there. So he's obviously an asset on both ends of the floor. Every way you slice these advanced on off data from whatever site you choose to dive into such data rabbit holes. Uh, he matters. And I think he particularly matters in a matchup where they could have success, they being Nova and the vintage Villanova inverted offense posting up the guards, which they could not do at all against Houston, right? I mean, those Houston guards are big, they're long, they're athletic, they can body you. Kai, what, what do we call the uh, the big brick things in, in Mario? The Womp Womps? The, the, <laughs> the, the, the Womp yes. that's, that, that's what Houston's <laughs> guards are. I don't consider, well, I think Dwan Harris is a fantastic defender for Kansas. I think he's frail. And I think Remy Martin, while they talked about how much he's improved defensively, can absolutely be explored on the post. So when you take away one of Villanova's two best post-up dudes, uh, that hurts them. Now you still have Gillespie and Caleb Daniels can obviously create some mismatches down there as well. That's a really interesting part of this game. Um, and we'll get to some of the player props and why I actually am looking at, at potentially Nova's guards here to back. But that's a key thing because Remy Martin has been such a boon to KU's offense. I think he has to play upwards of 20 to 25 minutes. Um, but I think he can be a liability defensively, especially if Nova tries to pinpoint him as an isolation exploitation in the post. Yeah. And, and, the other part of that, the inverted offense, David McCormick, he kind of struggled getting out on Sam Wardenberg a couple times on Miami. Uh, he was able to have success from the perimeter. Certainly Eric Dixon can shoot out there. So Villanova is going to spread KU out, play that five out offense. And I do think that can give Kansas uh, a bit of issues here. The execution is going to be incredible. And from the Miami, Florida camp, Matt, we learned pregame from a source. Word is that they thought that Kansas couldn't guard them late in the shot clock. They tended to ease up late in the shot clock. Villanova, if they're working the ball around for 20, 25, 30 seconds, Kansas could wear down eventually as this game goes on. So there's a lot to like about Villanova, despite Justin Moore being out of this game. I think also a point you have to mention on the other end is size, right? And, and you look at Villanova playing Houston and Michigan these last two games, they certainly face their fair share of big guys. Dickinson for Michigan, 15-15 against Villanova, but... Villanova held Michigan just 35% inside the arc. They held Houston just 43% inside of the arc. The worry is both those teams, Houston and Michigan, kind of killed Villanova on the glass, gym. I think Kansas can do that as well. And they really turned the Jets on in the second half against Miami, against the smaller Canes. McCormick basically got a touch in the post every single time down the floor in the second half. I think they could do that again against Villanova. Yeah, the, the, the glass is interesting because I thought – Villanova basically built their first half lead because they kept Houston off the glass. Like they, at, the, at one point, Houston's offensive rebound rate was sub 10%. They had like one out of 15 available offensive rebounds. And then the second half, they went bananas on the offensive glass mm-hmm. and ended up completely dominating it, but just couldn't hit enough shots to compete. I, I think Kansas can probably find some success there. I mean, just even just McCormick and Lightfoot themselves, the, the center combo. Dixon sat a lot against Houston. I think they like just decided to zag instead of zigging with their lineup and, and go a little smaller, more versatile. They don't have that option really now without more, unless they're going to play a lot of Archie Diakono or Antoine. Yeah. And I know that Jay Wright. Jim, this is the Brian Antoine. This is it. This is the moment we're waiting I'm for. eternally hopeful. This is it. I'm eternally hopeful. I just, I don't know if it's going to come to fruition here. Um, the other thing that I think worries me defensively for, for Villanova is because they are so switchable. They're basically daring you to beat them one-on-one. Like, all right, we think Eric Dixon can hold up against your guards. And he kind of did against Shed and Edwards. 
He kind of did against Eli Brooks and those guys, but that's where Remy Martin is huge, Matt. Like he is a one-on-one scorer. He can create, he can get separation for his little step back jumper. His form is still a little goofy to me. It's like a push, but he's a terrific shooter yeah. off the bounce. And I think he's going to be the differentiator where Villanova is basically like, we're a college team. We don't think you have enough one-on-one scores in college to beat us. And I think Kansas might, and I know if they advance, Duke certainly does. So yeah. uh, I, I'm that's the, that's the part of the matchup that worries me, both from an efficiency and uh, Kansas scoring and covering perspective. Can I, can I take us to an over-under discussion yeah. real quickly? Well, I, I was um, just about to, Matt. I like, it's oh, a great idea. Total great setting about 133, like. by the way, Matthew, which has actually gone up about a half a point. Yep. Surprises you? Mm. Hey, this Surprises is where me. I'm ultimately Surprises torn. Me. I'm curious if people have strong takes. Um, I'll prevent a few factoids on both sides here. Um, Nova one in six to the under in their last seven games. Now I think that's partly a product of who they've played, but man, it seems like when the stakes are higher, Nova really, really tightens up their pace and their transition defense. Like they, 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 they clamp down. There's no more of this free flowing um, opportunistic transition uh, attacking. It's very much, we're going to run our stuff and our stuff in the half court, no ifs, ands, buts about it. So I think they continue to play to that script the Remy Martin effect, I mean, I think he's an over player. They're scoring 3.6 points per possession more when he is on the floor. And when you watch him, Kai, like he pushes the pace, right? I mean, Harris is a little more controlled when he's out there. Now they share the floor occasionally. When they share the floor, usually it seems like Harris is the one that initiates. But when it's just Martin and no Harris, it, it, there's clearly an emphasis to run a little more. So I think as his minutes increase, probably plays well for the over. But again, I mentioned that Nova dynamic with how well they play toward the under. So there's a little bit of an offsetting effect there. Um, I ultimately didn't play it, but, uh, but, but, but the Remy effect, I think, and, and how he controls the pace, how many minutes he plays versus Nova's snail like mentality. I, I think that's sort of a tug of war that no side really wins from an over under perspective. Yeah. Villanova actually six of the last seven games have gone under another point in favor of why I was kind of surprised this game was taking money towards the over. And Jim, you have a pivot analysis stat. You want to mention with more, I, I was confused by hoop lenses on off numbers showing that more out of the lineup offensively, Villanova was basically the same and slightly better on defense not in the lineup, which points to an under, but in my head, I'm thinking there's no way they're better offensively when he's off the floor. Yeah. The pivot analysis also says they, they run a little more when he's not on the floor, which surprised me too. Cause like there's a ball handler guy that can grab and go. Uh, but I, I think there's maybe inherently a little bit of issue with using those because him sitting out mm. during a game is different than him completely not being available yep, and compl- having yep. like a five man rotation. I, I think from both a fatigue and a foul trouble perspective, Villanova desperately wants low possessions. They don't want a chance for McCormick to get Dixon and Slater with two fouls, which is exactly what he did against Miami. Miller had two fouls immediately. Wardenberg was in foul trouble the entire second half. I think that's a, a big reason to keep possessions down. Uh, and then also, without more, you have less of a score. Uh, it, you mentioned the late shot clock stuff, Kai, against Kansas. Moore's a huge part of that for Villanova. Uh, just a guy that's capable of taking a pull-up three or you know a quick catch and shoot as the ball pings around the, the perimeter late in the shot clock. So I think that saps efficiency a little bit against Kansas. And then I, I really strongly believe this tempo is going to be low. Mm-hmm. I mean, they held Michigan to Michigan's slowest game since February 12th. They've played under 60 possessions in like every other game. Kansas is going to want to push. I just think they're going to struggle to do so. I agree. And that's why I already took the under guys. Um, I got, a, I guess, a worse number than what it's going to end up at. But I'm already on the under in this game. And Jim, 
like you said, like Matt agreed with, I'm waiting to this game. It's five and we'll hop in on Villanova. If it gets there, if it doesn't yeah. get there, I'll make a split decision when it comes. Yeah. Oh, you'll I, buy the uh, hook with me. Maybe it'll be Kai hooks. For sure will not. <laughs> you guys don't have to bet aside if you don't want to. Uh, but for, for the total Kai, I, I thought initially like this is going to go down. Everyone's seen how slow Villanova's playing. They lose a starting guard. I bet a 131 and a half under and it oh, wow. immediately went to 133. And I was like, ah, screw it. I'm adding more. Yeah. I added that. I added under first half 62 and a half. I, I think they're, I think it's going to be a slog like from start to finish in this one. Absolutely. He's been terrific. I mean, there's no, like, that's pushed like carry them recently. So yeah, I, a lot points to the under. Now we talk more about it. All right. Kai, take it away. Next matchup, right? Let's go to the uh, headliner of the final four. UNC Duke, my gosh, the narratives, guys. First ever game between these two in the NCAA tournament, and it happens to be the Final Four. This is Coach K's final tournament, as everyone out there realizes and knows. It's also a rubber match from a 1-1 season split. So you have three things going here, Jim and Matt, and I am excited for this game personally because the ticket price has got to be outrageous for this game just to get in the door and fellas, we're, we're sitting there in the media uh, with our feet back, just enjoying life, living the rich life, as they say. Matt, I think spread is kind of short here. Um, mm-hmm. we, we saw the spreads from the two prior games. So Duke on February 5th was favored by three and a half at UNC. They won by 20. On March 5th, Duke was favored by 11 points at home against UNC. Of course, Tar Heels won that game by 13. Now, Kempom ranks have dramatically changed since those games. On February 5th, you had Duke at number 12, UNC at 38. On the 5th of March, you had Duke at 5, UNC at 37. Now you're showing UNC at 16, Duke at 7, and we're sitting with a four-point spread in favor of the Dukies. Matt, does that make sense? And who do you like? I like Duke. I like the over. We'll get to the over in a second, but... Um... Let's just give credit to UNC's defense. I think that was the butt of the jokes regarding them early in the season. They couldn't guard a nose or couldn't stop a nosebleed. Uh, Primer defense was leaky. No pun intended because Leaky Black has been a dominant defender on that end. Um, and their interior defense was soft. Since February 17th, can I talk about the timestamp and how much UNC's improved down the stretch? And Kempom, Bart Torvik has UNC as the fifth best defense in defensive efficiency since February 17th. Fifth. Not even like 50th or 30th, like average, like legitimately elite. Um, and personnel wise, it doesn't exude a dominating defensive fortress. But when you have a guy like Black, who is a defensive destroyer, can guard one through four, one through five, even Baycott's muscled up. I think Manic plays smart, intelligent defense. I think Davis and Love have taken big strides there as well. Uh, I mean, we just heard Heber Davis talk in the press conference today about how Leaky Black's defensive commitment has like really inspired the team. So he's been kind of like uh, his mentality has been like an osmosis throughout that team, whatever. It's all cliche BS narratives, but I kind of buy into it and the numbers back it up. I still think Duke can score pretty easily against UNC Jim. The one matchup that hurts is the Bancaro matchup because Leaky Black put him in a straight jacket in that most recent meeting in Cameron, but you go down the line one through the other four positions. I actually kind of give an edge to Duke in all four, just from an offensive versus defensive standpoint. I think that matters because Duke schematically is looking to put you in one v one isolation matchups. So that's my angle. I like Duke a lot though. Yeah. The one thing I want to see with that Bancaro black matchup is more of that mid post low post. They, they, they did it yeah. late in, against get Arkansas, deeper. get deeper. Arkansas had cut it to like five or six and out of a timeout, they went rip screen for Bancaro coming from the top of the key down to the right block. And they ran it three straight possessions. He had a layup, a kick out for, I think a driving layup. 
and then a kick out for, I think, a foul on a three. Like they scored a ton of points off of it uh, because you, you just like it's so hard to guard him one on one. Black is a is a great defender, but I don't think he has the strength. If Ben Carroll really puts his mind to bully ball, I think he can get around him uh, and, and through him for layups, which means you have to send help. And Duke actually has shooting, man. Like that, that's kind of like the not sneaky secret with this team, but it's like you, you think in the past, oh, they've got all these great athletes, but no shooters. Like this year's team can knock it down from outside. Griffin, Roach, Bancaro, uh, Wendell Moore's knocked down shots, somebody we razzed quite a bit in, in multiple yeah. preseasons. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, the, the one thing that is hurtful for Duke is, is how great of a defensive rebounding team UNC is. Baycott just shuts down the glass, so I don't know if Mark Williams is going to be able to get too many second opportunities. Uh, the first matchup between these two, Duke was thoroughly dominant on the glass, 40 to 24. And then UNC won the rebounding matchup at Cameron, uh, which I thought was pretty, pretty surprising. Part of that's because Duke missed more shots, so there's more defensive rebounds available. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the defense was better for UNC. But, man, yeah, I, I'm leaning Duke here, Kai. I think the number, just like like you said, feels a little low. I, I wouldn't set it at like the seven and a half, seven that the prior spreads indicate. But I would still think it should be about six. Uh, and four yeah, is just a I little think six is me. about right. So, again, leaning Duke for sure. Yeah, I guess it matters how much you buy into UNC's current form because they're arguably the most impressive team of the tournament so far, right? Beat Marquette by 32. Baylor, they're up by 25. Beat UCLA by seven. Dismantled the St. Peter's Peacocks. Uh, and we mentioned that they have gone up 14 spots in Kempom in the tournament alone. Number we one had in them. the country since March 1st per Bart Torvik. Number yeah. one team. Uh, so if you buy into that, this spread isn't too short. And now we had them UNC number 14 in our preseason ranking. So this isn't super shocking that they made it this far. This is not your typical eight seed. This team is much better than that, especially right now. But man, the Duke switch flip against Texas tech offensively is just where my mind is going right now. 1.16 points per possession against Texas tech, the second half where they missed absolutely nothing. Uh, and now the number one offense in Kempom. I don't think UNC is going to stop them personally. So I like the insertion there to to put a bullet on your point. Since I mentioned this since February 17th, how good UNC's defense been since that over that same time span, Duke 1.3 points per possession, 1.3 offensively, offensively. Pretty good. Yes. Yes, it is pretty pretty good. good. Um, Yeah. I I think this is Duke's game. Um, I like them at minus four. In fact, I've already taken it minus four. Let's talk total in this game. There are some intriguing aspects. The total is 151. Just like KU Villanova, it's been bet up. In fact, it's been bet up about one, one and a half points. The previous two matchups, Matt, February 5th, 152 and a half is what the total closed at. Yeah. It hit 154, went over. March 5th, closed 153 and a half, 175 points in that game over, of course. Duke, eight and two to the over the last 10 games. Which way do you lean? Yeah, I think you're hinting at over, which is where I lean as well. Um, you're right. I mean, the fact that this total is a little bit lower than those first two, especially given those first two went over is perplexing, but I think scoring is generally erodes as you go deeper into the season. So there's an adjustment you have to make for that. The key thing here is Duke's defensive strategy. They were absolutely torched against UNC in pick and roll spread pick and roll specifically. That's how Baycott scored. I think he was 10 of 11 from the field. It wasn't like offensive rebound stick backs. It was mostly like screen and roll um, and Davis and Love and Manic getting him on those slips. And Duke just was overly spread out and way too discombobulated. I think the wrench that Coach K can throw in UNC's offense is that zone. Now, I think UNC can score very effectively against zones, especially with how they rebound. They're like a good that, zone team now. Th- like. I think they're a good zone team. And Manic's the ultimate zone buster. 
But I think the, just the ability to throw that wrinkle in, you know, maybe once or twice throughout the flow of the game to take UNC out of that comfort zone of their spread pick and roll. I think that actually could hurt the over. That's a minor nitpick. That's a devil's advocate, stupid take Kai. I'm on the over. I think it's a high scoring affair. Yeah. I think it'll be a shootout as well. I think both teams want to run the second game at Cameron at 75 possessions. This one's projected for 70. Uh, I think we could see North of that 70. Uh, they, they, I guess, you know, some people might buy into the angle of the shooting in a football stadium. I'm not totally sold yeah. that that matters a ton. Uh, maybe it will, but Matt, I think your, your point about the the zone is, is pretty apt too. I, I do think UNC can score against zones, but it's just the, the element of making them stop and evaluate, what are, what, what are they playing this possession? Like the fact that they have to think about that extra uh, curveball, even if they can score against like Texas tech scored really efficiently against the Duke. Zone, yeah, they did. But it still was a key for, for changing the, the tenor of the game and, and really how it was playing out. Uh, and they're not going to play it every possession. So UNC is not going to get that used to it. I'm, I'm with you guys on the over. I think both teams score efficiently. <laughs> I'm just looking back at the box score, Kai, from the one at Cameron. UNC has four guys that can score. Leaky Black can't, and they don't play yeah. any bench. And <laughs> yeah. all four guys had 20-plus in that game. Wow. So, like, you need a really good game from all four of Davis, Love, Baycott, Manic to beat Duke. And I don't know if we're going to get it. Like, I, I, I think those guys are all playing well, but for them to all play well on the same night, mm-hmm. that has been a very rare occurrence this season. And that was, that was my final bow on this. Caleb Love, RJ Davis, they can get cold. They take bad shots. If they're cold, it might be game over here. Another point in Duke's favor. Um, Let's move to futures, guys. Let's talk the winner, of course, the national title odds. Uh, Briefly mentioned some straight forecast bets, which I thought were interesting uh, via DraftKings. I'm sure other uh, sports books out there offer them as well. And then, of course, you want to touch on most outstanding player. There's some interesting numbers in that market as well. So talking title odds, the best I've seen out there for Duke, and I haven't looked at too many books, so please jump in if you have seen better, is plus 160 for the Blue Devils. They are the favorite right now. Kansas, you can get as good as plus 200 at Bat Rivers, and there's uh, most others. looks like they're floating around plus 180, plus 185. Villanova going about four and a half or five to one. And then UNC, five, five and a half to one. What do you think about this, Jim? Where do you, do you think Duke is the correct favorite? First of all, they are the the, uh, two seed. Kansas is the only one seed remaining, but tougher match up here in the final four, arguably title odds. What do you think? Yeah. The title odds are, are a little curious because like you said, you know, they're both four ish point favorites here uh, against each other. I'm not exactly sure what the spread would be. I think maybe KU minus one. I, am I, and maybe I'm crazy for that, but uh, I think Duke has taken a ton of money in the market and that has probably led to them being the favorite that I don't think Books want to have Duke at, you know, two to one at this point because people are buying the Coach K narrative. I bought into it last round. I took a a big sliver of Duke at four to one before the Arkansas game. So based on where the prices are right now, I don't see like a a whole ton of value. If if Villanova still had more, I'd I'd love that price. But obviously it's there because they don't have more. If Jay Wright wins two games against this competition without more, I mean, build a statue already if there's not one. Mm-hmm. Um, but Matt, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of take in terms of value right now. I think don't take Duke in this market. If you like Kansas, I think that's maybe who you'd consider. I mean, I'm looking at my little handy Andy parlay calculator right now. Um, the implied money line rollover for a minus one ninety money line in Final Four, which is what both Duke and Kansas are. And then Jim, to your point, if, assuming they're probably a pick'em. 
if they play each other in the championship, that equates to um, a 20 to one, or sorry, a two to one payout, which is what KU is effectively sitting at, at Bet Rivers. So now on the other side of the coin, don't take Duke because you're basically just getting way worse value. Now the perspective matchups here matter as well, Kai. I feel a lot better about Duke than I do about Kansas, don't you? Yeah, or was that that, just me. And- winning that first game. Well, if Kansas plays Duke, you know, that's a different story. Um, it's interesting you can get. So, like I said, DraftKings offers straight forecast odds plus 330 you can get at either KU beats Duke, Duke beats KU. So, if you like that matchup, I mean, plus 330, pretty good odds, I would say, for that. And maybe you want to take that instead of a straight winner. Um, Kansas or Duke here. I think KU two to one is the best bet on the board personally. I think yeah. so. Of the winners, yeah, I agree. Yep. I I think if if we're betting this market, we're going to talk most outstanding player in a second. There's something there that appeals to me more than just betting KU two to one. And yeah. I don't know if we want to get to it right away, but no, I'm, I'm I'm keeping them. Okay, yeah, let's get right. there. I have no hard. T- I think the winner straight forecast markets are just eh. Just blah. Yeah, I'm not super enthused about any of them, uh, specific matchups. Like I said, I, I kind of lean towards uh, Duke covering their spread. Haven't bet yet, mostly because of my futures position. I'm already kind of leveraged on Duke. And then Kansas probably wins, but I'm liking the, the plus five if we can get there for Nova. Uh, most outstanding player, though, guys, I mentioned the way Villanova defends and how they switch and how they make you say, you need to beat us 1v1. I think that leads to a big Remy Martin game. And yeah, I got Martin. I got Martin. He's now. still 12 to one, most outstanding player. I know uh, a couple other people I've worked with, it came out at like 60 to one before the Sweet 16 uh, because he was going off and then he was huge in the Sweet 16. I, I think that shows that evidence is how important he can be for this team when they're when going through scoring droughts like they were against Providence. He was the guy that came in and saved them. And again, I think he's going to get a lot of chances to go one on one against Samuels and Dixon. And he'll either create for himself or he'll create for others. That's going to be a big boon. And 12 to one, yeah. I know Agbaji's a, a bigger favorite for, for Kansas there, but he's up at five to one. Like rather than bet Kansas uh, two to one, I, I'd be more interested in the value of 12 to one, Matthew. Hey, I'll take you one step farther, Jim, plus 15, sorry, 15 to one. You, got, you need to get in the habit of saying that correctly. 15 to one, Remy Martin to score the most points in the tournament at FanDuel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm looking at both those. I'm with you. I guess I'm going to put a couple eggs in the Remy Martin basket. Kai, my most outstanding player pick is Jeremy Roach, 20 to one. Um, I think Van Caro against Leaky Black is a potentially tough matchup for him. I'm looking at the others, quote unquote, on Duke. And just with the way Roach is playing, uh, I, I think he can, if, if Martin ends up guarding him in the, in the title game, I think he can destroy Martin um, at the point of attack. And against UNC, while I've, just championed how much better love and Davis have played defensively. I still think Roach can get into gaps. I mean, he was getting looks against Texas tech. He's going to get looks against UNC. And I think his usage, his confidence is on a complete rocket ship right now. Um, 20 to one for, I think the favorite to win the title. I'll take it. Yeah. And in context out there. So Bancaro is the favorite, the heavy favorite to win MOP. He's, he's plus two seventy five. Igbaji's five to one Samuels, eight to one Gillespie, nine to one. Interesting that those two would be next. Uh, despite title future odds, it, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Especially and, and interesting that Sam was ahead of Gillespie. That's right. Yeah, that's odd too. Too. yeah. I, I would mm-hmm. assume Gillespie would have been as well. Baycott's at 10 to one Remy Martin, 12 to one Jim mentioned, he just won most outstanding player of the Midwest regional. Like he, he just won it. He was clearly the best player in, in that foursome Matthew that we watched live uh, Roach love manic Griffin Williams, all 20 to one. And then you have, uh, Justin Moore, 
Uh, it's Wendell Moore, right? Wendell Moore, excuse me. Wendell Moore and, and Christian Brown at 25 to one probably wouldn't take those, but I do, I do love the idea of Villanova <laughs> winning and then giving it to Justin Moore for his inspirational yes. story on the sideline. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I think Remy Martin's the best bet for sure. Uh, Bank Hero 275, that, that's just not enough value in, in my opinion. I guess yeah. the worry with Martin is maybe minutes, but he's played 26, 21, 29, 27, 24. Doesn't yeah, like I said, he just, he just won the region right. player yeah. of the year, like or player of the, of the East. So it's, it's certainly possible. Uh, any like other Midwest, player props guys, <laughs> Midwest. Yes. Yeah. Any other player props? I, I have exhausted my list personally, but Matt, I know you're looking at a few things, Jim, possibly as well. I'll go to Matt first. I'll give one more Kai Brady Manick, 20 to one for most outstanding player. I think he is the Duke killer potentially, especially, um, well, just against man or zone. The one thing with Duke's zone, I was talking to my buddy Mitch offline, like Duke's wings come up way too high and they leave the corner wide open sometimes. And Manic corner threes, I just have visions of butt naked Brady Manic draining threes in the corner in this game. So I, I think he could be a, a Duke killer and uh, potentially carry that momentum forth into the, uh, the title game. So 21 is a pretty good value bet there. Yeah, I sort of buy that. Uh, I, I've been loving Manic all tournament. Uh, I, I think. I, w- I would have been fine with him winning most outstanding player of that region. I think Baycott won because of rebounds. He had like he, he had like 20 in the uh, the St. Peter's game, so I get it. Um, but the one other player prop I'll give, and it's kind of harping on the same note I've been on, is, is Remy, Remy Martin over 12 and a half points against Villanova. It's plus money, plus 110 at DraftKings, what I saw. Uh, like I said, I think he's going to be in position to score a bunch. I think Villanova is going to roll out the red carpet and say, we believe – we can kind of outduel you one V one and Dixon was great against the Houston guards shed and, and Edwards couldn't really create against him, but this is like what Martin is made for one V one scoring. He, he's a terrific creator. I think he gets over that 12 and a half points there Kai for the semifinal round against Nova. Love it. Fellas that does it for our podcast here. Thank you again for joining us on the big Bex on campus podcast. Hey, we'll be uh, back on video form for Action Network this week. Stay tuned. Till then, please enjoy the Final Four. We'll see you next time.